When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Yeah, the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney prior to or during any question. If you can't afford one, the court will want one for you. Do you understand your rights? And the wolf is at your door. You're running so This episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast may contain descriptions of acts of violence or that of a sexual nature. It should be for people that are 18 years or older. Heed my warning, people. I do not get the facts of these cases off of the Internet or for some television show. The facts I'm retelling you were presented to me by the victims of the crimes or the perpetrators who committed the crimes against the victims. My descriptions of the crime scenes, what I saw with my own two eyes. If you're going to get offended, please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. Today, y'all, I'm going to be concluding the series. I'm hoping to conclude the series on death penalty. Bringing it to you, we're really talking about Miss Christy O'Pry. And I'm going to get with the family, and we're going to do a call to action after this. But I skipped through. I I know y'all tired of me reading these courtroom transcripts. I went last night, and I skipped through hundreds and hundreds of more pages of everything up until the closing arguments in the death penalty phase, okay? And what I skipped was Eric's uh, defense attorneys bringing in all these uh, doctors saying he had psychosis and saying that he had an alcohol addiction. And, you know, his mama, I think, took the stand and just 
our brother took the stand and they said how he was a good kid and he was on the swim team and all this shit, right? They would go camping. They went to the Grand Canyon and all this stuff you didn't need to hear um, because really I'm not it, – I hate it that he brutally mar- uh, murdered Mr. Charles Martin and ultimately he is on trial for his life now in the death penalty phase for the murder of Charles Martin. But I got – I read it to you because Christy O'Price, his confession about him murdering, choking out, and then having sex with Christy O'Price's body numerous times, even dropping her out of the tree when he was having sex with her and all that, that's, the prosecution was allowed to put all that in the death penalty phase, not in the original trial. So that's why I was reading you all that. But I'm going to go straight to the closing arguments, and we'll get through it. So, but it's important because they talk about Christy O'Pride. I want you all to hear this, and then I'm wrapping it up, okay? So it, fast forward through a whole bunch of stuff and comes to uh, the closing argument, arguments, and they they bring the jury in. And, the you know, remember, if I say the court, it's the judge talking. If I say uh, – the prosecution and it, I, there's no question and answer y'all it's just them talking on this part so the court says ladies and gentlemen please be seated as i stated you have heard the evidence in the case the next phase is closing arguments phase of the sentencing hearing by law the state of louisiana will argue its case first after that defense counsel will have the opportunity to argue its case following that the state has rebuttal closing argument that procedure is set forth by law. After closing arguments, I will then read you the law that you are to apply to your deliberations in this case, and then you will deliberate with the hopes of reaching a verdict. All right, State of Louisiana, closing arguments. All right, real brief, y'all. I'm not going to read y'all the, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of pages after the closing arguments. Uh, that they send the jury out. They, they have to agree upon the instructions for the jury, what they should, can, can, can consider and shouldn't consider. I'm not going to read all that. I just want to read you these closing arguments because they're important. All right? Closing arguments. Mr. Evershaw, who's the prosecutor for the state of Louisiana, says, he says, thank you, Your Honor. First of all, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you how honored I have been this last week to have been able to present to you this case this various, very serious, important case. And I understand all of you have made a tremendous sacrifice and taken a week out of your lives to hear some things that I can't imagine anyone would want to have to sit and listen to. So I want to let you know how honored I am to have been able to help present this to you, ladies and gentlemen, for this decision. There's some legal concepts I want to talk about in this part of the trial. The state's burden is to prove an aggravating circumstance beyond a reasonable doubt. Those aggravating circumstances that the state has alleged in this case are that the offense occurred during the course of a robbery and an aggravated burglary. Ladies and gentlemen, by by us being here, I believe those elements have been proven during the guilt phase of the trial. No doubt about it. You have heard the evidence 
that this was an aggravated burglary. The defendant intentionally entered Charles Martin's house with the intent to commit a felony or theft inside that house and committed a battery on Charles Martin. You've heard of robbery. He took things of value from Charles Martin's immediate possession inside the bedroom through the use of force or violence. You saw the injuries on Charles Martin, who sustained those. You heard the defendant's statements. There's no doubt those aggravating circumstances have been proven. You've heard that the victim, the 65 years of age or older, 86 years of age, 86, another aggravating circumstance has been proved beyond a reasonable doubt. With that finding, that means the death penalty is an option in this case. The death penalty or life imprisonment, those are the options we're talking about. No doubt about it. The death penalty is an option we can consider in this case. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want us to lose sight of what this penalty phase is for. This penalty phase is the appropriate penalty for the murder of Charles Martin. What is the appropriate penalty for that murder? As part of the, that, we look at the circumstances of the offense itself. Everything we heard in the guilt phase, everything that happened to Charles Martin is something you can consider in this phase. Consider the impact that it had on Mr. Martin's family. And finally, consider the character propensities of the defendant seated here before you. Those are the things that you must address along with any mitigating factors either expressed or you may find in making your decision. In this particular case, all those elements we talked about are so intertwined that they have been talked about together because, ladies and gentlemen, what we're dealing with here is a murder of an 86-year-old man in the safety of his own home and the safety of his own bedroom. Two people who forced their way in, kick into his door, and then choke him to death. That's what we're dealing with, ladies and gentlemen. That in and of itself is sufficient for the death penalty. Absolutely, it screams for the death penalty in and of itself. But in this case, it's so much worse so much worse than his murder is what the defendant was planning on doing to him. You may wonder, well, how could it get much worse than murdering an 86-year-old man in his house? Well, let's go to the night of July the 11th, 2006, where the defendant and his girlfriend, Beverly Arthur, proceeded in the middle of the night to Charles Martin's house where he lived by himself in that quiet residential neighborhood. Now you heard from the neuropsychologist, you heard from the psychiatrist today, and what did they tell us? Well, the defendant, Eric Mickelson, doesn't think like we do. Well, no he doesn't. I don't think the state is contending that Eric Mickelson is normal. Normal people don't kill. Normal people don't dismember. But what did you also hear from the defense witness in this matter? What did you also hear 
Well, Eric Mickelson is impulsive. He can't appreciate the consequences of his actions. He's delusional. He can't focus on a task. Well, ladies and gentlemen, on that night, July 11th, the defendant got together with Beverly Arthur, and there was a plan when they went to that house. You heard it. Charles Martin was going to call the police on Beverly Arthur, and it was planned at that point that they were going to wring Charles Martin's neck so he couldn't call the police. Does that sound impulsive to you, ladies and gentlemen? Impulsive? That plan, that plan where you're working in concert with another person. You decide to put on shoes a size too small, which throw off the footprints so you can't be detected? Does that sound like someone who's acting impulsively? Does that sound like someone who cannot appreciate the consequences of his actions? Well, he appreciates the consequences of his actions all too well. They used a tool to force open the rear window and gain access into Mr. Martin's house. Does this sound like the picture we heard from the psychologist, the neuropsychologist, and psychiatrist in this case? Does, does that sound like the same picture we heard from them? They went in, kicked open the door, and choked Charles Martin to death in his own bedroom. The neuropsychologist the defense had, what did he refer to the defendant? Fascinating. Fascinating personality. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you that Mr. Martin's family does not find the defendant as a fascinating personality. I submit to you that no one in this courtroom finds the defendant a fascinating personality. I think the term we would use is horrifying. That's what he is, horrifying, not fascinating. Anyone who can do this, perform this crime, that's how you describe him, not fascinating, horrifying. As bad as this is, what happens next? Let's think about what happens next. The defendant and his girlfriend clean up the crime scene. In fact, they clean it up so well that despite the best efforts of the Shreveport's the police department's crime scene analysts, and despite the best efforts of the crime lab, we can't find any other DNA in that house except for Mr. Martin's. That's how well they cleaned up the house. Someone who can't appreciate the consequence of his actions, but he could clean that house like he did? Who can't stay focused on a task, but that house becomes spotless? Is that the picture the defense is painting for us of this defendant, and does it match his reality? what he has done? Then you hear how Mr. Martin is taken to his property out on Woolworth Road so he can sit for a day. Now, does this sound like impulsive, coked out person acting on the spur of a moment? Does that sound like that to you? Does that sound like someone who doesn't appreciate the consequences of his actions? Does that sound like any of what they told you? This crime? He gets a saw. He gets garbage bags. 
He proceeds to his property, and he starts sawing away at Mr. Martin's body until it's in pieces and in bags. Does that sound like someone who cannot stay focused on a task? Does it, ladies and gentlemen? You saw, and I'm not going to reshow the pictures. I don't think there's any need for that. But ladies and gentlemen, you saw his handiwork. You saw what he can do when he puts his mind to it. He sure can stay focused on a task. You keep hearing, oh, he's so intoxicated. All this cocaine. Well, he got his car up to that 10-point hunting lease without a scratch, didn't he? The Shreveport police officers weren't sure they could say the same thing. But he's so intoxicated. He's so out of it. He's so mentally ill. He's so delusional. That's another thing, delusional. You heard that bannered about. He's delusional. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you heard his recollection of the crime scene, and you heard his recollection of how he disposed of Mr. Martin's body. He had a picture-perfect recollection of how he killed Mr. Martin and how he disposed of the body, and it was all accurate. Shout out to Astro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. My allergies are throwing my whole morning off. Do I sound different to you? I love that. You sound like, <laughs> it's that time of year, though, bro. I sound different to me. I feel like I'm in a submarine. Yeah, well, have you tried Astro Pro? It's faster, bro. Oh. Right? Astro Pro is the first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Hey, I use this. And you should too, Jim. Last weekend, I planted my garden, and it's that time of the year, and my allergies really kicked up with it, right? I use Astapro every time my nasal allergies flare up, and I'm always amazed at how fast I'm back in the game, down on those rows, playing my stuff. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to AstaproAllergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O Allergy.com. It's faster, bro. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. It's springtime, boys. The grass is green, the birds are chirping, and the kids will be out of school soon. That makes it the perfect time to plan a family vacation. And we know from the stories we cover that this is not exactly the time to take the family to the Caribbean. You don't want to end up in the middle of some cartel drug shootout. So this year, it's time to take an international journey. And of course, a big international trip is just one reason to learn a new language with Rosetta Stone. You might have a different one. Maybe you want to connect with family or friends living overseas. Maybe you want to acquire a new skill for work or better understand a certain culture. Rosetta Stone has helped me have fun with my mother and at least have partial conversations in Italian after only a few lessons. Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users in 25 languages offered. Spanish, French, Italian, 
German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and many more. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways. No English translation, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language. Intuitive process? You pick up a language naturally. Designed for long-term retention. Speech recognition. The true accent feature is like having a personal trainer for your accent. Rosetta Stone is convenient and an amazing value. That's right, Woody. A lifetime membership has all 25 languages for any and all trips and language needs. That's lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Real Life Real Crime and Daily Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Sayonara. Everything he said to the spot of blood in Mr. Martin's bedroom, to where he put his torso out in the middle of the woods, could lead the police right to it, to where he was carving up Mr. Martin's body on his property, was all spot on accurate, yet they're saying he is delusional. Well, his delusion, if that's delusion, well then why does it fit all the evidence to a T? Remember, he says he has a picture-perfect memory of things and events, and I contend, ladies and gentlemen, he does. Now, ladies and gentlemen, why am I harping on the events that occurred after he came in and brutally murdered Charles Martin? Why am I harping on that Because, ladies and gentlemen, if he had accomplished his task, if he hadn't gotten caught in this matter, as horrible as this murder was, it could have been much worse. Now, I would like to stop at this moment and talk about the job the Shreveport Police Department did in this matter. And they did a good job, a very good job, an unbelievable job. Once they got the information and once they found the defendant as he was headed off with Beverly Arthur to do whatever they were going to do next and brought to the police, Shreveport Police Detective's Office, Patrick McConnell and Bowen, ladies and gentlemen, what you heard on those tapes is unbelievable police work. A madman that basically, when I say mad man, I don't mean legally. I mean someone who is so violently sick that he horrifies any normal human being is basically put right in front of Detective McConnell and all of a sudden Detective McConnell starts to realize what he has in front of him. But he can't react with horror. He can't cast judgment on him because he needs him to talk. He needs him to keep talking so he can find Charles Martin. He needs to build up a rapport. And as hard as that must have been for Detective McConnell, he did an unbelievable job in this case of doing that, and you heard that. Keeping him talking, developing rapport, 
and how difficult. Could you imagine? It must be trying to develop rapport with this man. If he hadn't been caught, if his plan had went without a hitch, the reason this crime would have been no much worse is because Charles Martin would have simply vanished. He would have disappeared off the face of the earth. His family would have never known what happened to him. And ladies and gentlemen, there's family in this courtroom today that knows that feeling all too well. Back on July 11th, 1996, Christy O'Pry got in this man's pickup truck and was never seen again. She vanished. This isn't a case of someone who turned up dead and they think the defendant did it but can't prove it. This is someone who got in the defendant's truck and was never seen or heard from again. I suspect the defense will try to play this as a whodunit on Ms. O'Pry. Don't let them do it, ladies and gentlemen. The evidence in this case is overwhelming that the defendant killed Christy O'Pry. Sheriff's Department's number one suspect. The only person they can verify was last seen with Miss O'Pry. And despite all their efforts, they never could find her whereabouts or find any other suspects. And then you heard after he was caught in this case, what he told Shreveport Police Department, the detail he went in as to what he did with Christy O'Pry, how he choked her, how he dragged her onto his property, how he brought her up on the treehouse. You heard from his mother. There was a stand built by that pond the year before. How he had sex with her dead body. How he dropped her to the ground. How he put her in that pond. How he put rims on top of her in that pond. And then when she bloated and floated up, how he cut her, chopped her up, put her into bags, and then brought her to various places in the parish. Now, does that sound familiar, ladies and gentlemen? Does that sound familiar? Ladies and gentlemen, when the defendant killed Charles Martin, how do you think he knew Charles Martin had to go out and sit for a certain period of time before he could cut up his body? How do you think he knew that? How do you think he knew to put his body into several different dumpsters in different areas so they won't be taken to the landfill at the same time where all the bodies will be dumped out. How do you think he knew that? You saw his handiwork up on the screen of how he cut up Charles Martin. Did that look like the handiwork of a coke addict? Idiot who didn't know what he was doing? And ladies and gentlemen, when Beverly Arthur needed to kill Charles Martin, why do you think she went to the defendant? Because he's done this before. He has made someone vanish before. There is no doubt when you heard his own words, you heard from Detective K. Ward, 
where she interviewed the defendant. Not that night, but the next day. Not just that night, but the next day. Then another day following that. And then two days later. This isn't the ramblings of someone who's under the influence of cocaine. This is someone who had complete recall of the events. Do you recall in his taped statement when they took him to the culvert, he was even able to tell the detectives, well, yeah, it does look a little different. They've done some work on it. Think about that, ladies and gentlemen. When he took the detectives to the culvert, his recall was sufficient that in looking in the, that culvert, he knew that it had changed since he dropped Miss O. Prize's body in, that, in it back in 1996. He remembered that. Does this sound delusional? About this platform, which we just heard was present in there, about the rims that the Sheriff's Department, 11 years after what he did to Miss O'Pry, were dragged out of the pond, is this someone who sounds delusional? You heard from their own psychiatrist. Oh, no. He can recall events. Absolutely. He can recall events. Yes, he can, ladies and gentlemen. And he recalled this event perfectly. Fifteen years ago, ladies and gentlemen, fifteen years and almost a month, Christy O'Pry went missing three weeks before her three-year-old daughter Jordan's third birthday in August. Just vanished. Didn't take anything with her. Since then, her family has engaged the media, the police, private investigators, a psychic, the internet, in an attempt to locate her. And there's been no sign of Christy O'Pry. Nothing. There is no doubt, ladies and gentlemen, the defendant killed Christy O'Pry back in 1996. Absolutely no doubt whatsoever. You will hear from the judge or the court the burden the state has when you consider this evidence is clear and convincing, that the defendant committed this crime is clear and convincing evidence. There's no doubt this case that he did it, that he killed her. He was the last one seen with her, the only one who confessed. And there is absolutely no doubt, ladies and gentlemen, except probably, and it's probably not called a doubt, it's probably called a hope to one group of people, and that's Miss O'Pry's family. If there's anyone in this courtroom who is never going to give up hope that Miss O'Pry may walk through that door is her family because, ladies and gentlemen, that's what the defendant did to them. He put them in a nightmare they can never wake up from. They are always going to have that hope that one day she's going to walk through the door. And every day that it does not happen, the nightmare continues for them, ladies and gentlemen. That's what the defendant did. That's what he referred to as he hopes 
that open sore on that family will never heal. You say fascinating? I say evil. This is an evil thought, ladies and gentlemen. To hope that type of pain on a family and on the sake of his mother, I'm glad she enjoyed those times with him in those pictures we saw. But Jordan O'Pry, she's never going to have those memories of her mother. She's never going to have those pictures to show anyone because he made her vanish. He made her absolutely disappear. That's the evil I'm talking about. That's the maliciousness that he knows so well. That open wound he hopes never heals on the O'Pry family. Why this defendant deserves the death penalty, ladies and gentlemen, is because after he did that, he goes and tries to do it to another family, Charles Martin's family. And if the police hadn't called him, he'd have gotten away with it. That's the evil maliciousness I'm talking about. You heard the psychiatrist. They said, well, whenever we're talking about his killing, we're not talking about everything he did afterwards. That has nothing to do with that. Well, that's the evil, ladies and gentlemen. He was going to make Charles Martin vanish where his family would have no idea what happened to him. You recall the picture that his granddaughter, Stacy Tramp, put on his door? That feeling, Grandpappy, call mom or dad. We are very worried. Stop by on the way home from Florida. Your answer machine is not picking up. Please call us ASAP. I love you, Stacy. Think about that. Fear and uncertainty as she was writing that note. And if he had gotten away with this crime, as much as this crime has affected their family, and any sense of safety has been taken away, their patriarch has been taken away. Their person who entertained them at family gathers has been taken away. Their person who loved to debate with them and give them information about things he read growing up has been taken away. Her, her children who don't feel safe in her own home, as, as bad as that is, if the defendant had gotten away with what he wanted to do, they would have been left with what the prior family is left with, and they would have no idea what happened to their grandfather. And every day, ladies and gentlemen, that they woke up, they were going to, no matter how irrational it got to be, they were going to wait for him to come back through that door. That's why the defendant has earned has worked hard throughout his life to earn the ultimate penalty under law, and that's the death penalty. I can think of no case more appropriate than this case, ladies and gentlemen. And as we discussed, everyone in this room is here as a juror because you agreed that under certain cases regarding first-degree murder, you could be open to both the death penalty, and a life sentence. Ladies and gentlemen, if not the death penalty in this case, then what? This isn't a crime that was impulsive. 
This was a planned out crime. This wasn't something coke adult idiot pulled up on someone and killed them and ran off with their money. This isn't that case, ladies and gentlemen. This is a case of someone who planned out what he was going to do, performed it, and then cleaned up the crime scene so well, and then carved up Mr. Martin to make him vanish. As gruesome as those photos were, with the horror show aspect and the disrespectful way that Mr. Martin was treated, it's nothing compared to what the defendant almost got away with. That is making a man, 86-year-old man, a father, a grandfather, great-grandfather, disappear where your family can never have any closure. When you as a perpetrator, as a defendant, when you know all too well what that does to a family because you've done it to another family. I mean, think about that, ladies and gentlemen. That has nothing to do with what his neuropsychologist or psychiatrist were talking about. That has nothing to do with his cocaine. This had nothing to do with him being impulsive. This is an evil act committed by an evil man, and it deserves the ultimate penalty under the law. Ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate being able to speak to you on this matter. I appreciate the time and attention you have shown us throughout this case. I appreciate the sacrifice you have made in this, and I will now have a seat. You will hear from Mr. Hall. He will give the final rebuttal for the state. And once again, I appreciate everyone's time. Thank you, the court, the judge, y'all. All right, defense counsel. And y'all, I'm going to get as far as I can. Mr. Price for defense counsel begins. What do you say when you're trying to save a person's life? Well, I wish I could stand up here and tell you that Eric Mickelson is a law-abiding citizen of Caddo Parish, and he contributed a lot to the community. We all know that's not true. We all know we're starting off with, right now, with a decision that Eric Mickelson is a convicted murderer, convicted of first-degree murder, the worst there is in Louisiana, no doubt about it. Convicted of a crime that you have decided is bad enough for first-degree murder. Every first-degree murder has bad facts, horrible facts, has horrible effects on the individuals who are affected by it. So number one, let's recognize that the answer is not questioned by focusing on the facts. And of course, that's the state's job. They got plenty of facts to throw at you that are designed to affect your emotions. When I saw those pictures, boy, it affected me. When I heard people talking about it, it affected me. I'm sure it affected you as well. That's what that kind of evidence does. It acts on your emotions. But you, when you're in a court of law, though, and we ask you to kind of set aside your emotions, we ask you to decide this case dispassionately. We ask you to decide this case on the law and the facts. I think you start out 
by figuring out what sentence is appropriate for this man who committed these crimes. And for this parish, which was harmed by the acts and that we've been talking about, kind of a three-part question here. If you could figure that out, I think you're really covering all the bases because you got the punishment, which obviously you want to do. You want to punish Eric Nicholson, no doubt about that. And that is appropriate under the law. You consider, as the law says, the individual. You got to consider the individual characteristics of Eric Nicholson. But you also consider the parish, meaning the people, here's who were affected by this. Whether that is the Martin family or whether that's you as a people who live in this parish and are understandably affected by the crime in this parish. Well, let's start with what you should not consider, and that's this Christio pride business. I've been waiting for somebody to prove to me in court that she is dead, and I haven't heard that. Now, I know Christio Pride disappeared a number of years ago, but I have not heard any evidence that a body was found. I have not heard of any evidence of anybody saying she is dead. I know that for a fact. I can show you these circumstances which prove to you she's dead. The legal standard that gets applied to this kind of thing is a little bit confusing. So let me read that to you. And the judge is going to read that to you in the charge to the jury. We use the burden of proof, clear and convincing evidence. Not reasonable doubt, but clear and convincing evidence. That is evidence indicating that the thing to be proved is highly probable or reasonably certain. This is a greater burden than the preponderance of the evidence. The standard applied in most civil trials, but less than the evidence beyond a reasonable doubt. The standard for guilt determination phase of a criminal trial. Hey, y'all. My wife's biggest struggle this past year was fighting the symptoms associated with menopause. Hot flashes, mild mood swings, and sleeplessness. She had them all until she tried Hormone Harmony. She was amazed at how much Hormone Harmony reduced her symptoms and supported her mood and her general well-being. Hormone Harmony is not just a supplement for women going through perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause. It's become a phenomenon. Women cannot stop talking about it on social media. A bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now, here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. So hormone harmony isn't just for menopause. Any woman with symptoms of hormonal imbalances can take it. But it's perfect for those horrible menopause symptoms that put a woman's life on hold. Hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, poor sleep and feeling tired all the time, occasional bloating and gas, no desire to be in bed next to someone. 
if you know what I mean. Yeah, Hormone Harmony can help with all of these things. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code RLRC at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code RLRC for 15% off today. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seen more health issues with the dog's joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do this same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. Now, my dog, Phoebe, is the queen of our house, and I can tell you that her health is extremely important to us. She is a part of our family. I watched the video, y'all, and I was amazed by the things I didn't know that could impact your dog's health. This 20-minute video is packed full of tips that I've already started with my dog, Phoebe. I'm noticing more energy, healthier skin and coat. If you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com R-L-R-C and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D.com slash R-L-R-C. And what I take out of there, evidence and indicate that the thing to be proved is highly probable or reasonably certain. Can we be reasonably certain or is it highly probable that she is dead? Can we make that statement? Just from the fact that she disappeared? I don't think so. We heard a number of people describe her situation as pretty chaotic. It was abusive. Her boyfriend beat her. Her boyfriend broke her wrist. Not just beat her, but was breaking bones. When her family tried to help her out and buy a car, the boyfriend sells the car and apparently the same day sells her stuff so much that her sister said by the time she disappeared she was down to that used sofa and pretty much her own personal possessions and that was about it what that tells you is a couple of things one that I think is highly probable or reasonable reasonably certain that she just had enough and left town and started a new life. If you start a new life, you, you can get a new social security number. There are ways to do that. That's why her social security number wouldn't pop up anywhere. You can get new credit cards. You can get a new driver's license. You can get a new name. You can leave behind the abusive situation you're in. You can start all over again. Whether that's in East Texas, whether it's in Atlanta, or any number of places that people 
can just disappear to and start a new life. And I suggest to you the evidence shows that this is highly probable or reasonably certain. Well, suppose I'm wrong and she's dead. Isn't it highly probable or reasonably certain that Jerry Todd Dean, the boyfriend who was beating on her and abusive to her, was the, the one who actually did something to her? We heard that she had left him times on several other occasions. Could she have told him this is it? I'm out of here. I'm tired of you selling my stuff. I'm tired of the bruises. I'm tired of the broken bones. I'm tired of everything. I'm getting out of here. And he says, what a lot of crazy boyfriends say. If I can't have you, nobody can. I think under normal circumstances, he would be a prime suspect for the police. Instead, they focus on Eric Mickelson. And what the evidence establishes is apparently that Eric was the last person known to have seen her. And I don't put the tag on there alive because I think, again, the evidence is there that she may still be alive. All we know is that Eric was with her and nobody has seen her in this area since. She may be in Atlanta where somebody has seen her but never has reported it here. What that tells you, I think, is confirmation of what the police said. Detective K. Ward, she told you there's no physical evidence connecting Eric to Christy O'Pry. Detective K. Ward told you there's no physical evidence indicating that Christy O'Pry is dead. Detective Schultz, he's the retired detective, told you he did not arrest Eric for killing Christy O'Pry because he did not have the evidence. These are the professionals. These are the detectives handling the case. These are the detectives who talk to people, collected evidence, analyze that evidence, and they tell you it's not there. What's the best way to prove that a person is dead? Obviously, a body. We don't have that in this case. The state's answer, I suspect, is, well, look to the confessions and that lengthy statement he made. And I'm going to get in that in just a second. But I suggest to you that what you heard about Eric Mental State can provide a basis for what you, you're deciding Eric would have confessed to. Just about anything under the circumstances. And just because he confessed doesn't mean it's true. I'm trying to let that sink in a little bit. Because for some people, it's hard to understand why somebody would confess to something they didn't do. I wouldn't do it. You probably wouldn't do it. But a guy with delusions in his head? A guy who loses touch with the reality? Schizophrenia would do that. A guy who doesn't really know whether she's alive or dead would do that. And that is Eric Mickelson. So 
We'll get to that in a little bit more in just a second. I want to talk about that under some different circumstances. I want to talk about where we are now. What questions you face. How you make that decision you're faced with. I want to talk about some of the areas that I suspect you're worried about. Some of the things that, well, frankly, I worry that are going to overwhelm you. I want to talk about the mitigating evidence that is present in here. I want to talk about two different words, grace and mercy, and how they can apply in this situation. And finally, we'll talk about the personal moral judgment that each of you has to make in this situation. Where are we now? You convicted Eric of first-degree murder. We understand that. We respect that. I know you made that decision. We've turned that corner. We're to the point where we talked about with a lot of you and Boisdere, where I had you assume that you convicted him of first-degree murder, and I had each of you understand and agree that even when you get to that point, you have a choice as to sentence, and that's where you are now. You have a choice. In the first part, we're talking about criminal responsibility, guilt under the law. You've established that. Now the question becomes moral culpability. What is it about Eric that says to you either he is or is not completely responsible? Is there something about him that doesn't work right? Is there something about his brain that causes him not to understand fully what's going on there? We'll get to that again in just a moment. That's what I mean by moral culpability. What is it about him that establishes that culpability? Culpability, of course, is just responsibility. You have a choice between death and life without benefit of probation, parole, or suspension of sentence. Sometimes I forget to use that whole phrase, but I think you understand that life means life in Louisiana. It is a severe punishment, no matter what. And as you've heard, the bottom line is it means that Eric is going to be in custody, whether it's in Angola or some other prison in Louisiana, for the rest of his life. The difference, obviously, is whether or not he dies through an execution or whether he dies of natural causes. Eric will die at Angola. The process that you use to arrive at your decision, simply put, aggravating circumstances. You've got to find those. Louisiana is like a lot of states. If you find a conviction for first-degree murder, then it's real easy to find those aggravating circumstances. That's just the way the statutes are written. So I suspect in most of your minds, you've already found aggravating circumstances. 
beyond a reasonable doubt. But again, you've got a choice. You can find every aggravating circumstance that's listed on the page and still say, I think life is appropriate. You can find every aggravating circumstance and look at the mitigation and say, you know, the numbers don't match up. But there's, but still, I'm going to vote for life. That is an option under the Louisiana law. There's a difference between the way you treat those things. Aggravating circumstances must be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. Mitigating circumstances, or whatever you think they are, it's one of the easiest things for a juror because you don't have to think in terms of reasonable doubt or that confusing, clear, and convincing evidence standard. It is whatever satisfies your own feelings, whatever you think is mitigating, whatever you think justifies a life sentence. Whether it's something that is just barely proven or something that you think is proven all the way. I don't even want to have to use legal terms. It is up to you to decide what is mitigating and whether or not mitigation is proven. All right, y'all. I'm going to stop it right there because the, I'm going to finish the last one. Absolutely, I'm going to finish the defense part because it's, it's pretty good and it's pretty long. But then we had the rebuttal from the rebuttal closing from the prosecution, which is fire, and you need to hear it. Uh, and so that's all going to be on next week's episode. And then that's it. We're doing a call to action with the family and then getting it over. We'll go back to old cop stories, you know, catch a lot of heat a lot of people don't like when i do this but i have to use my platform which is y'all in real life real crime to try to get some type of justice or closure for christy o prize family i don't care if i take number losses they'll come back right when i tell the old cop stories again but this is real life real crime people this is word for word exactly what happened this is word for word murder dismemberment rape of mutilation of a corpse these families suffering you get to hear how the judge and and the lawyers interact and the jury and everything else and i'm proud of this story i'll tell you that and i'm being i I think it's a really long shot but i'm gonna be proud when we conclude it all right, that's the end of this week's episode. Thank y'all. We love y'all. Patreon and convicts, I promise your story's coming. The, uh, your next bonus episode, uh, I hope you're enjoying your commercial-free early releases. Apple subscribers, same thing. Um, I love and appreciate each and every one of y'all. If you can't subscribe to the, be a patron or a convict, which is our, our subscribers through the Real Life Real Crime Community app, I get it or through Apple subscriptions, I get it. I still love y'all, okay? And I thank you for putting up with me and listening to me. Hey, you know, those of you who love The Daily Show, I'm glad you love it. It's awesome, right? Um, Go follow us in the Real Life Real Crime Community app. If you want to see Woody Overton every day by video, go follow me on TikTok. It's under Real Life Real Crime. Every single day, I'm posting at least one new video. Some of them are crime. Some of them are cooking. Some of them are funny. 
whatever. But, uh, just go follow us, and if you want more, you can get get me that away. In Lopa, Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, y'all know it's my jam. Um, if you're a lifer from Phoenix, Arizona, you don't have to be from the state of Louisiana to sign up. You can be from anywhere in the world. Go to lopa.org, fill out the questionnaire, and they'll hook you up and and be a hero, give the gift of life and sight and all those great things. Uh, and I'm Woody Overton, you host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. Until next time or ever, don't let me catch you down on Murder Bayou. Peace. Yeah, the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney prior to or during any question. If you can't afford one, the court will appoint one for you. Do you understand your rights? And the wolf is at your door. You're running so mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.